Hello and welcome. This is the Keegan Stewart Sports Podcast. Happy to be with you for another episode. Look, this one is unique. This one's special. This one was a lot of fun. Chuck Morgan, the voice of the Texas Rangers, joined my sports writing and reporting class at LCU this afternoon. That's right. The PA announcer, the Texas Rangers, Chuck Morgan. If you know anything about baseball, if you know anything about the Texas Rangers, you know who he is. And he spoke to us today. He shared with us a lot about his experience, a lot about his life. It was an absolute blast getting to learn from him. Very, very nice man. Very generous guy. So thank you to Chuck. Thank you, Chuck, for joining us. It was just a great blessing for our class to get to look at someone who's in the industry, out there, been there and done that and is still doing it. What, a, what an opportunity for us. Thank you to Cody Chumley, who set this up for us, admissions counselor there in, in the DFW area, made this happen for our class. We all thank you. It was just a tremendous experience. Here is that conversation with Chuck Morgan. Thanks everyone for being here today. This is uh, this is a special occasion for for our class, and we're really excited for the opportunity to get to learn from from Chuck Morgan. Just a little bit of background on him, real quick. Chuck Morgan is the public address announcer uh, for the Texas Rangers, and he's been working in the MLB for for 42 years. Over that, actually, he's been with the Rangers 37 of the last 38 years, and he has announced over 3,000 consecutive starting lineups and he uh, he reached that this last this last season so just an incredible feat there prior to working in baseball he worked uh, with the Grand Ole Opry actually and uh, in 2017 he was inducted into the IDEA uh, Hall of Fame which is Information Display and Entertainment Association so Chuck Morgan welcome so glad you're here with us today just just thanks for taking the time sir. Keegan it's uh, great to be with you all and uh any questions you have, fire away. And uh, uh, again, I'm glad to do it, and uh, and uh, looking, for, I've been looking forward to it. So, as as media and communication majors, uh, students in college right now, uh, you know, they're going through school, thinking about what's next, and thinking about what the next steps of their life are going to be. Can you walk us through what what your narrative was? Uh, what what was your schooling like? What were your what were your goals? What were your dreams? How how did you get to where you are now, Chuck? Well, I, I don't mine's not the recommended route uh, to take. Uh, I started in radio when I was 15 and uh, had uh, my my I guess Keegan my goal in life was to play first base or pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals and you reach a point in your life where you know that's not going to happen uh, uh, you know first first three months of college I knew that wasn't going to happen uh, and I had radio to fall back on so uh, I worked a lot of radio before I got to Nashville uh, playing country music playing uh, playing rock and roll music at the time uh, reading the news, all kinds of things like that. And pretty much just my life has been being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I, w- I went to school only for three months, which is a big regret that I have. I only went to college for three months at Southern Illinois uh, University. And I felt like I knew more about radio and TV than they did, which uh, by the time I was 19, I was announcing on the Grand Ole Opry. And I kind of jokingly say, I think I knew more about radio and TV than they did at Southern Illinois. But, you know, I, that's one thing I regret. I would have probably been more in a management uh, type role had I stayed in school. But, you know, having that experience, I learned a lot of things in radio and television in Nashville that I probably 
wouldn't have learned to that age in school. Uh, some of the background information that I knew about country music stars from, from 1974 to 1982, anybody that was a singer or songwriter in Nashville, I'd either interviewed or, or did shows with, uh, was around a lot of talented people. Uh, also during that time, uh, again, never saying no and always looking to do as much as I could, uh, not only to, to work, but also to make money was to, to do public address announcing, which I started. Uh, well, the first one I ever did was uh, I was 15 and got a couple of packs of baseball cards to do a, a little league game after I played a pony league game. But uh, I also did uh, PA for Vanderbilt University football, basketball and baseball. In fact, I was uh, I'm, I'm old enough to where anybody that's heard of Bear Bryant, I did a PA uh, for a football game between Vanderbilt and Alabama back in the in the 70s. So uh, Bear Bryant was still coaching at Alabama then. But uh, just, be, again, being in the right place at the right time, I got a job at WSM uh, in Nashville, which was the kind of the home of uh, country music start in 1925 and ended up uh, announcing at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, then at that time, WSM was also not only uh, an AM radio station, but had FM and television. So I ended up filling in as a sports anchor on the weekends, did some of that. Uh, but the uh, public address announcing started uh, at an early age and then did Vanderbilt. And then Nashville got a baseball team in 1978 the Nashville Sounds, and I did the public address announcing for the Nashville Sounds for for three years until uh, my duties with the Grand Ole Opry and uh, WSM got to be too much. And uh, my last year in Nashville was uh, 1982, and, and that was about the time that the Nashville Network was just starting up, so I was hosting a couple of television shows there. And uh, also uh, the uh, – uh, Grand Ole Opry thing turned into a, a nationwide network in my last year there. And we were on about a hundred stations nationwide, but uh, long about the end of 1982, a, a guy that I'd worked with or worked for, for the Nashville sounds became the VP of marketing for the Texas Rangers. And he called me in uh, late December of 82 and wanted to know if I wanted to work in the major leagues. Said he was, I'm taking a shot in the dark to see if you're interested in that. And, and at that time, I wasn't because I had a lot of things going on in, uh, in Nashville. But then I got to thinking about what I was going to be doing when I was uh, 45, 50 years old, if I was still going to be playing records on the radio and, uh, you know, what that would be like. And, and I'd always loved baseball. I'd uh, been a baseball fan all my life. And, and I called him back in, uh, in February of, of 1983 and said, you know what, I think I'm, I'll, I'll come down and, and join you in Texas. And I was smart enough at that time to know that uh, you're not going to make a living as a public address announcer. So uh, also I became a director of sales for the Rangers. I'd never sold anything in my life, but uh, ended up selling promotions and program ads and suites and radio and television time and things like that. So that was kind of my day job. And then the night job during the season was to, to do the announcing uh, for the, uh, for the Texas Rangers. Uh, I always kid everybody that uh, there was uh, in, in late February, I was announcing Barbara Mandrell on the Grand Ole Opry. And about three weeks later, I announced Buddy Bell playing third base for the Texas Rangers. 
And then the, the next season that, uh, due to my background, uh, uh, editing film and video and things like that, and, and being a baseball fan, we, uh, we were the second team in uh, Major League history to get a video board, which uh, they're pretty much commonplace now. But uh, we followed the Dodgers. The Dodgers got uh, a diamond vision in 1980, and the Rangers got one in 1983. And, and with my background, it kind of just fell in place that I would uh, – do the uh, production for uh, the video scoreboard. So uh, since uh, I'm uh, since that time, I've pr pretty much been doing that type of thing: uh, video board production, public address announcing, selling a few things here and there, and and now it's developed into a, a, a role of of uh, also doing the promotion. So for the last uh, 15 uh, years, I've been handling all the promotions. The all the I'm the bobblehead guy. So we sit down and. Uh, in uh, late summer, we usually have to have our budgets ready to go by August or September, and we've got to pretty much have the bobblehead schedule, at least our ideas, ready to go by the latter part of the summer. And uh, since you have to order those from China, uh, you got to pretty much have your schedule ready by this time of year, first part of December, uh, to get those bobbleheads ordered and shipped here from China. So been handling all that, but that's, uh, that's pretty much how it happens. It wasn't, again, wasn't the recommended route to take, but, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of things, uh, Keegan that I do, I was doing when I was five years old, I was announcing players in a backyard wiffle ball park and, and, uh, again, always loved baseball. So that's pretty much how I got to Texas. Thanks for painting that picture for us and, and through several, <laughs> no, through several of the things that you said, I'm, I'm probably going to pop back in and go a couple okay. different directions with it. Chuck, if you don't mind, could you, uh, could you share with us some of your favorite memories at the, at the Grand Ole Opry, uh, people you worked with, or just some of your favorite moments? You know, the best, the best part of those, uh, those days, at least for me was, and, and it really helped me during on my radio show during the week, I would go on at uh, 10 at night till, three o'clock in the morning, which is kind of a prime time for, you know, back in those days, it doesn't happen this way anymore, but back in those days, uh, at that time of night, a lot of country music stars didn't sleep well and stuff. And if they recorded a new record that, uh, they brought that to buy as an acetate, uh, as the kind of the beginnings of a record. And they'd bring that by and talk about the, the new record or, you know, where they were going to be on the weekend. So it was really, great to be around a lot of very talented people uh probably uh people on this call uh george Strait was uh, one of my guests when he first started uh and then uh, a lot of the old greats uh you know dolly parton or lynn johnny cash people like that probably my best friend in the in nashville and the music business was marty robbins but the the great part that i always enjoyed was not the announcing part at the Grand Ole Opry, but my time between announcements. Usually, that what the the way there was three of us that did announcing, and we would read uh, commercials for Martha White Flower and Shoney's Big Boy, things like that. But you take about a thirty-minute segment, then you'd have a thirty-minute segment off, and I would go back into dressing rooms and listen to jam sessions and listen to old stories and and again, just so many talented people like. Uh, a guy that I kind of got started was uh, Ricky Skaggs. In fact, Ricky was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. The first time I played one of his uh, his songs on uh, WSM in Nashville, he heard it and he called in. And then I ended up getting Ricky on the on the Grand Ole Opry as a as a regular performer. 
Uh, but uh, just, I was just around a lot of talented people. And it would, for me, it was a thrill because I didn't know how to sing or write or anything like that. So to, to be around those people and then to watch these jam sessions on Friday and Saturday night and then hear old stories about uh, Hank Williams and, and things like that, that was pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, I know uh, some of these people I talk about are from the olden days, but like being around Minnie Pearl was pretty cool. And, and Roy Acuff, who was the king of country music at the time I was there. And, uh, it was just uh, just a great place to be every Friday and Saturday night. And then you hear these stories during uh, during those weekends and then be able to talk about them uh, during the week on the radio. It was all, always pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. I want to shift to baseball now. Within this class, Chuck, we have looked at a lot of the different areas as it comes to uh, sports production and sports broadcasting. So we've studied play-by-play and sideline and color and uh, other areas. We haven't looked – um, as intensely into public address, particularly because our book doesn't focus on it as much. Can you, can you walk us through what preparation looks like for you? So say it's Friday night, you know, the Rangers got a game at 7, 7 PM that night. What, what is your preparation look like and what, what kind of things are you doing to get ready? Before I, before I say something about that, let me talk about how public address announcers how it works in most places. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a rarity where I'm a full-time employee for the team. Whereas in most cases around the league and it, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's baseball, basketball, football, whatever, most of those folks are employees of either a radio station or a TV station. Like I was, I was on a zoom call last week with the Dallas Mavericks PA guy and also the, the Cowboys and the Dallas stars and both of those guys work in on radio stations in Dallas Fort Worth so they're just part-time seasonal type work for uh for the teams whereas the play-by-play guy uh, which is something that I and again that's me not going to college I didn't get a chance to do you know one of the things I would have liked to have done was play-by-play uh which I've done a little bit of that in in high school doing some uh, some peewee baseball games and things like that but I wish I would have gotten to pursue that because that would have been really something I really would have loved to have done, but uh, it worked out another way. But my preparation for a baseball game is a lot like uh, I, I kind of compare it to back when I worked in television sports at uh, Channel 4 in Nashville. It was like preparing a, a sports cast for television, and that's kind of what we do with the the scoreboard production. So my day for a, a night game that starts around 7 o'clock at night my preparation starts around 9.30 or 10.30 in the morning. Uh, and we prepare, you know, I prepare a program log, much like you would have for a television station or a radio station for us to follow because we have some sponsorship things we have to take care of. So we'll prepare a, a program log with different uh, uh, board features that will run during the game, whether it's, uh, it's bloopers or kiss cams or things like that. We've got something that we have to do every inning that satisfies a sponsor commitment, like the, the dot race that we run at the Ranger games, all the, all, all, most of that stuff started out for me because I was also selling at the time started out as trying to sell sponsorships and that's how that stuff developed. But anyway, we'll build a program log and then we start editing together those features that will run during the game. And the goal is always to be ready by around four, 4.15, the Rangers come out to stretch about 4 o'clock, 
And the goal is to be ready by then when the team comes out. So there's nothing, nothing really left to do until the gates open at five, but it's, it's much like preparation for a television sportscast or a television newscast to be ready by a certain time of the day when the gates open and the players come out for, for stretching. But that's, uh, that's what a day, a day looks like. And uh, the best part of the day is when the game starts, you get to watch the game and, but uh, there's a lot of preparation uh, that goes into that. And then we're there till the game's over, you know, and these days they used to be about two hours. Now these games run three to four hours. So, but uh, it's like preparation for a, a sportscast. With your, with your work in calling the game, what kinds of uh, helpers are you getting, getting prepared? You have a spotting chart. What do you, what are you researching about the other team? What all do you have there with you? Um, as you're calling the game? For me, all I, all I have is the lineups and then any type of promo announcements that I have to read. So it's not that, you know, I, I follow along the program log because the, the, the school board crew works for me and I make sure they get, make sure we get all those sponsor commitments taken care of. But for me doing the ball game, it's really just uh, any, you know, just the lineups. I don't have to know anything about the stats or anything. Uh, that's all done prior to the start of the game. It's, and these days we used to used to have to do stats by hand, but nowadays the the scoreboards uh, will uh, figure all that stuff by hand. We load a lot of notes, or uh, they do that automatically. We load a lot of notes on players by hand that, that appear on the scoreboard. But uh, for me, it's just the the lineup and the uh, uh, scorecard, and then what in, any announcements that I have to read during the game. So for you, the scoreboard work and, and getting that production ready is all prior to the game. When the game starts, you have other other team members working on that, and you just focus on announcing. Yeah, I've got a I got a full time staff now of, of seven people that work on the uh, scoreboard production during the day, and then we've got uh, that balloons to uh, about eighteen people uh, in the scoreboard control room. It's, uh, it's about eleven seasonal people come in. And then also under my direction are another hundred promotions people that are uh, passing either something out at the gates or they work as part of the promotion crew, you know, bringing uh, uh, to distribute items at the gates. Uh, so it's about, uh, it's about 120 people on the night of a game that I'm responsible for to make sure uh, gates are covered and uh, uh, that we've got uh, six shooters and junior ranger sellers that are selling uh junior ranger memberships and stuff like that as it comes to the video the video board and the scoreboard production with technology changing so quickly the way it has over the last 10 years what have y'all done to keep up and i know obviously transitioning to a new stadium would like to get to that later but what what have you seen is just how quickly technology's changed uh, it's, I mean, when I first started, when I first got into television, I was editing film, which, uh, I don't know how we could have done that in today's world with the uh, scoreboards, but, uh, in television, we, I was editing film, but, and then I advanced to the three quarter inch videotape and now everything today is done, you know, digital. I mean, we can, we email video pieces to each other for the scoreboard. There's no, there's not any uh, videotape at all. In fact, We've got tons and tons of videotape that we bought years ago that we'll never use now. But, uh, yeah, everything's digital now. I mean, just uh, one of the things that really changed for me was uh, when I first came to the Rangers, 
we had a record player and we were playing vinyl records for music. And then it advanced to uh, uh, broadcast cartridges. And uh, everything today is, is digital, uh, on, even for music. I mean, it's a touch screen and, the, and, the, and it's uh, so much easier today to, to do things. And that's, that's how walk-up music has ballooned and, and taken off like it did, is that nowadays with a touch of a touch screen, you can play a piece of music that's, and you can edit it on that computer and be ready to go. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that, that's what's changed so much is, is the way that media is delivered to the fan and the seats. And, and it's uh, so much easier to work with than it used to be because it used to be very laborious to deal with the, with videotapes and things like that. You'd have, you'd have 20 or 30 videotapes of features stacked up that, that you'd have to play through a tape machine. And now it's just done with a, a click of a computer. What was it like for you going through that last season in, in Globe Life Park in Arlington, knowing, hey, this is going to be the last campaign in here. We're going to move to a new building next season. Well, you know, having, I'd, been, I'd been through it before with, with the move from Arlington Stadium into Globe Life Park slash ballpark in Arlington. Uh, and I knew, you know, what it, the, the thing you want to make sure you get into that ballpark about at least two months before opening day. If you don't, you really got some big issues. So uh, we, as soon as the season ended in 2019, we started to work on, on uh, getting ready to, for the move, which we got to move in around the middle of January, which gave us plenty of time to what we thought was going to get ready for a season, which didn't happen. But uh, yeah, you just, you know, it was a, that was a great place to watch a game. Uh, but as long as I'd worked for the Rangers, anytime we had a day game, uh, and I always felt like if a mom brought the kids out to a, a Ranger game in a, in a hot summer July afternoon or August, that they'd never come back to anything Rangers again because it was just a miserable experience. So that's how much the roof has changed. Uh, just a little bit, we had some fans in this year, the, how the, we can now control the climate. And that's made a huge change. But, you know, I had a lot of memories at, at Globe Life Park and saw a lot of great things. But I really am happy for the fans that they can now come watch a game in, in the climate control facility. What, what are some of your favorite memories in, in Globe Life Park in Arlington, Chuck? You know, uh, the first game in, in there in, in 1994, uh, I had a uh, – to see, you know, we moved from what was a, a pretty much a minor league stadium that had been pieced together, didn't have a lot of fan amenities. It wasn't a great place to watch a game, but nothing like what we moved into at Globe Life Park. And to have that now and and, and, our, and for the fans to, to see something like that, it was, it was pretty cool. And again, you know, thanks to the taxpayer dollars, we were happy, you know, had all kinds of new equipment and things like that, which is way prehistoric equipment now, but... No, it was a beautiful ballpark, and that first game was uh, was uh, great with the national anthem with Van Clybert and the Fort Worth Symphony, and and things just happened from there. And I, I saw so many things there from the Kenny Rogers perfect game, uh, Rafael Palmero's 500th home run, and and uh, Adrian Beltre's 3,000 career hit. Um, just a lot of great memories. But the best best memory of all is is winning the first American League pennant in uh, 2010. Uh, but to, to see those 
player accomplishments were all pretty special. But again, that was a that was a great place to watch a game. Pre-pandemic, Chuck, if someone would have told you, hey, you are going to announce the National League Championship Series and the World Series in Arlington, uh, but the Rangers aren't going to be a part of any of it, you would, you would have said what? Well, uh, since I, when I found out, it didn't surprise me because uh, of everything that we've had to go through uh, in 2020, not just at ballparks, but everybody's life has been totally affected by this thing. And nothing has surprised me because it's just a, it's a weird, crazy year. But, you know, to answer your question, I mean, ballparks were built to have fans in there. And it's not really been a true home of the Rangers yet because we haven't had any Ranger fans in there for a Ranger game. So it's not doesn't feel like home yet. Uh, we got a little bit of it during the National League Championship Series and the World Series. We did have 11,000-plus fans for each game. And uh, that was okay, but again, it's still not, still wasn't a Ranger game. But you know, ballparks are built to have fans in there, and and uh, again, we heard and uh, I first heard in the end of August that there was a chance that we were going to host, uh, that we were going to be the bubble site for all of the playoff games, which uh, you know would have been kind of interesting. But we ended up getting the division series, championship series, and World Series, but. Yeah, anything like that's bizarre. Who who would have thought you'd have had a ballpark and you'd have to have fake crowd noise inside that ballpark because they're they're built for ballparks are built for fans to watch games. So, but anything that's that's happened this year uh, has not surprised me because it's just been that type of year where a lot of crazy things have happened. What uh, what were some of your takeaways from that experience uh, with? Uh the World Series as well as the NL and, and the division round. He said, what, what was that experience like? What will you remember about that unique, that unique season for Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't ever do it again, not because I didn't find anything interesting or learn a few things, and, and, but I don't want to ever do it again because it's, those things are designed, again, ballparks are designed to have fans in there. And uh, – I'll know if, if, if we don't ever have to do it again, I'll know everything's pretty much back to normal and, and we've all got normal lives. But, you know, I, I, we did learn that we can fake crowd noise. It's not what you want to do, uh, but you make the best of the situation. And, you know, when we first heard about the playoffs coming to Arlington, you know, we wanted to do a good job for Major League Baseball first. Second, we were representing the Rangers and representing the state of Texas. So we wanted to do a good job for that. But, uh, again, those, and, and those playoff games are also I – don't, I, I don't want to ever do that again because uh, fans deserve – you know, Tampa Bay deserved to have some of those games in their ballpark. The Los Angeles Dodgers deserved to win the World Series at Dodger Stadium. Uh, the San Diego Padres deserved to have playoff games in their ballpark. So that's, that's what I just – again, I hope we don't have to do that again. But it was interesting and it was a lot of fun and it's a lot of hard work, but uh, we, we had a lot of fun with it. I, of course, anticipate that you don't fully know as that's the state of a lot of things this year, as you mentioned, but what are you, what are your feelings or thoughts of the way next season is going to look as we, as we get closer into going into 2021 and start thinking about that next season? Well, I hope, I hope it, it changes, but right now we don't know for sure. I mean, there's 162 games on the schedule, but we don't know for sure 
when the team's going to go to spring training, we don't know if they're going to have spring training in Arlington again. Uh, we've got <laughs> my life in the last uh, couple of months has been putting together three or four different uh, scenarios for promotion schedule. Uh, we've got uh, that's another a whole other issue because we've got like 80,000 bobbleheads that are in storage right now, which we've never had to do before because those have all been given away in past years. But this year we, we have everything left from 2020. Uh, so we've got some of that left. We've got, uh, are we going to be able to order new ones? We've got, uh, so we got some ideas of things we would like to do, but we don't know if we should spend the money because we don't know how many games we're going to have. We don't know how many fans are going to be allowed in the ballpark. So there's a lot of questions to be answered. And, the thing about it, Keegan, we may not know until after the first of the year what what exactly is going to happen. So it's uh, like my wife, for example, is the senior VP of finance, and she uh, is in charge of all the Rangers' budgets. She has got multiple budgets that she's had to do. It's a lot of, a lot of long hours, a lot of hard work, because we just don't know right now what's going to happen. I, I mean, hopefully uh, things get worked out and and we can have uh, 40,000 fans in the ballpark, but we don't know right now what it's going to look like. Chuck, are you telling this class that they need to order bobbleheads? <laughs> I don't know. I've got, we have some that we can't give away. I mean, there's some that we uh, – like we had a Corey sure. Kluber bobblehead that uh, we had uh, we have 30,000 of those, and we're not going to be able to give those away because he pitched one inning, and I don't think he's coming back as a ranger. Another one, uh, I, I parked down with the players' parking lot at the old ballpark, and for three or four years, Shin Su Chu bugged me every night wanting to know why I hadn't done a bobblehead for him. So in 2020, we decided to do a bobblehead for Chu, and I've got uh, 30,000 Chu bobbleheads right now, and I don't know whether he's going to play for the Rangers, if he's going to be a free agent, or he's going to retire. If there's two of those scenarios, if he retires or plays for the Rangers, we can give those away one night. But uh, uh, otherwise, I don't know what we're going to do with those. So, but uh, yeah, uh, we've got some, we got bobblehead issues that we're trying to handle. Hey, I'll take any bobblehead anyone will give me. <laughs> take any bobblehead. I second that. I second that. Even a, even a Clory Kluber that's in a powder blue uniform and he pitched sure. one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Chuck, all of, as I mentioned, all these students are communication and mass media majors. And so my last question, and then I want to open it up to the class to, to hit, hit you with some questions if they have them. What, what's your advice to aspiring communication majors in, in the year 2020? You know, uh, it sounds weird, but anytime you can find a job that's in, involved in radio and television, get it and do whatever you got to do. I mean, that's what I did. I mean, I did all kinds of things at, uh, at uh, Channel 4 in Nashville, WSM in Nashville, even at uh, the little radio station I worked at when I was in high school. You know, anytime they needed me to work, I kind of said, hey, when I can, I'll be there. And uh, I just never turned any type of work down. And it's, it's worked out pretty good for me. But, you know, I would say get your education because I wish I had. Uh, I think I'd be a lot better off if I'd uh, gotten uh, my education. I might even been a play-by-play guy. Uh, but, no, any, any, any type of job you can find that's in radio and television, uh, get in there and get to work and, uh, and uh, work, work at that job to make yourself better. The, and that's one of my 
things. I just never, even at WSM, I worked a, a lot of hours before I got the all night trucking show uh, and, and was in a prime time to, to uh, meet a lot of people and be around a lot of talented people. So it's just, just never turn that job down. Fantastic. What questions do y'all have for, for Chuck? You know, you mentioned earlier you were a, a part of two of the most successful Ranger seasons in 2010 and 2011. How, uh, how different is the energy in the stadium and, and just your job in general um, on two seasons like that and then just a normal, um, you know, mundane type of season? You know, uh, it, first of all, it's really a thrill to go something, go through something like that. It uh, it ends up being, uh, you know, it's it, both both of them are the same type of. You got to work hard, and sometimes you got to work harder when the team's not playing well because it's really hard to get people to come watch a team that's that's not. It's just not very good. Uh, but those seasons like that and. The, the thing that you you wish you could do is soak it up even more than you did because those things just don't happen that often. And, uh, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's what you get in, get into sports to be a part of something like that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I miss those days all the time. I mean, not a day goes by that you don't think about something that happened in those, those years. I don't like, thinking much about game six in 2011, but, uh, the way we lost that, but, uh, those, those seasons are, you know, the thing I've always approached it with, with, it doesn't really matter whether we win or lose as far as what I have to do. I mean, whether there's one person there or 40,000, I still have to, to do the best I can to make it a major league experience. Uh, I always have to, whether we're, if we're 40 games out of first place in September, there's still somebody that might be in the ballpark that's seeing their first ever major league game. And, and I got to give them the best that I can do to give a major league experience. Cause there's a lot of those memories there. You don't want to hurt anybody's memories. And that's the one thing I think there's a little more pressure when you're in the postseason world series that you don't want to do anything to mess up those memories in any way. Cause those are some of the, the most special of anybody's life. I mean, that was the, the thing when the uh, as the Dodgers and Rays played in the World Series, I didn't want to want didn't want me or any of our group to do anything that would uh, ruin those memories for those fans in the ballpark. That it was important to us to make sure when it was a Dodgers home game, the Dodgers felt like they were at home, and and when Tampa Bay was the home game, to make sure Tampa Bay felt like they were the home team. But you just got to take care of those memories. But uh, those are those are great things to be a part of the the 2010-2011 seasons. Chuck, just real quickly, could you speak to that? How you how you make the difference between giving the home, giving a, the home team the home announcing treatment? Uh, what what are the differences you think about? Obviously, the tone of voice, but I'd be very fascinated to learn all what goes into that. You know, I'd had some experience like that, not live, but back in the early two uh, thousands, I was the voice on a video game, RBI Baseball, uh, back in. Uh, by acclaimed sports back in the early 2000s. And I used to go to either Cincinnati or Austin uh, for about four or five years. And in the, in the fall, I would go record uh, these video games uh, for Nintendo, Xbox, and, and PlayStation. 
And for about three or four days, I would have to, we do every name, do every team, every type of weather condition, every type of situation. And I, I learned to do those, uh, introduce the names when as visiting players and then as home players. So that's kind of the approach I took in the World Series. Uh, the thing that was different in the World Series in the postseason at, at Globe Life Field this year was the teams didn't change dugouts, they didn't change clubhouses, and they didn't change bullpens. So every now and then I had to ca catch myself on who was the home team. We had these big signs that MLB made for all of us in the school board room and in my area that said today's home team is Los Angeles Dodgers. But it was one game against the Braves uh, in the champ NL Championship Series that the Dodgers had a big rally going on. And the, the night before, it was a Dodger home game. And the next night, it was a Braves home game. And I went, number 14, Kike Hernandez. Because uh, he was coming up to the Dodgers because it was a Dodgers game. But, uh, yeah, you just – you know, you got to – it was – it was again, it was interesting and a lot of fun. And uh, you had to concentrate a little bit more to make sure you remember who the home team was. No kidding. That is fantastic. What other questions do you all have for, for Chuck? Uh, what would you say uh, for someone wanting to go into radio uh, and TV announcing, but doesn't necessarily, I guess, have the, the radio voice that, that's associated with, with radio announcers? You know, I'm not so sure that I had the voice when I first started. Uh, I knew a lot about music growing up. I was lucky my parents listened to all types of music. So I, I knew a lot of that background, studied a lot of that. Same thing with, with sports play-by-play. -play. You know, even with, even with my voice and my hillbilly drawl that is uh, Southern Illinois slash Tennessee, Texas drawl, there's not too many places in, in America. I, like, I don't think I could go to Los Angeles or New York and be a success as an announcer because I don't think I'd fit in. But I'm not so sure the voice is, is that as, as important as it is as having a, having a character and personality and, and, and know a little bit about everything. Uh, so I think that's probably more important and knowing more about the subject, whether you're doing play-by-play -play or playing music. Uh, I'm not so sure the voice is that big a deal. I mean, it never has been for me. And I'm not, most of my – I've worked across the South. I've never been anywhere north of the Mason-Dixon line in, in uh, radio and TV. So I, I don't know how much important the voice is. I just think knowing the subject matter and, and uh, depends on what, what type of radio station you're working on. You know what? Let me follow up there. You know, last week I was on the, uh, the, uh, a zoom call with a for a fundraiser for all of the public address announcers in Dallas Fort Worth and all of the, all of us came to an agreement that uh we're successful the Cowboys guy successful in his role the Mavericks guy successful in his role that we're all not we don't have Ron radio type voices that we have more character slash personality voices that if Jeff Kowarski was not doing the Dallas Stars game or a Cowboys game. It wouldn't sound right. If the Dallas uh, Mavericks announcer wasn't, if he missed a game, 
it wouldn't feel like it was a Mavericks game. And then they, they concluded that if I wasn't there for the Ranger game, it wouldn't sound like a Ranger game. So it, again, it's not, it's not so much we have that great radio announcing voice. It's more that, that we've got a little personality character in the voice. Fantastic. Let's do uh, one more question for Chuck. You were in the 2002 Disney movie, The Rookie. It's on Disney Plus. <laughs> when was the last time you saw that movie? The last time I saw it? Uh, probably about a month ago. I mean, when you're flipping around, hey, my, you know, so, hey, my latest movie with Dennis Quaid's on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me tell you the, the 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 most fun I had with that was not the announcing part, but the night that they filmed in the ballpark, we had play we were playing the Cleveland Indians, and it was our job after the game, and it was my job to keep the crowd there uh, till about four or five o'clock in the morning. And we had about uh, 38, 38 39,000 people in the game that night. We ended up keeping about ten to 15,000 there at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And one of the, the great helps of that was Disney uh, had us play games between shots. You know, once the Rangers game with the Indians was over, we started playing games during the shots that they needed to take in the ballpark. And and Disney, and it being Disney, they had all these great prizes of trips to Disneyland, trips to Disney World, televisions, all kinds of things. And we played Name That Tune. We played Let's Make a Deal. And then also I got a chance to interview like Dennis Quaid between shots, and he would tell the fans, okay, here's what we're about to do. And it was very educational. It was very interesting. And then like the director would tell us, okay, all right, fans, here's what we're going to need you to do here. And it, this went on till four o'clock in the morning and we kept a lot of people there. Now they, they did bring in a few cardboard cutouts to fill in the gaps where people had left, but that was the most fun uh, of that part of my announcing part. I just went down to a studio in Austin and I, they didn't give me a script or anything. They just said, okay, here's what we want you to announce. Act like it's the, the pregame and, you know, if you listen real close, you can hear me in the background reading a, a promo for a souvenir program, which I just made off the top of my head. Uh, and then uh, I introduced, you know, they had me, the only script they gave me is when I introduced uh, Jim Morris coming into the game. And, he, and it was, of course, he was on Tampa Bay. And they had me say something that I would never say in a real Ranger game. And making his major league debut, a true Texan. You know, I would never say that about an opposing player in any way, knowledge where he, he was from Texas or anything. But that it was a lot of fun. But the best part of that was the night we filmed the the uh, the night Disney filmed the uh, stuff in our ballpark. That's awesome, Chuck. So you I still uh, get wait well, I still get a check. Uh, it's like six dollars and sixty five cents a month because it still plays on cable and 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 uh direct tv and things like that so that's awesome chuck so you're over uh 3000 consecutive starting lineups uh what what number are you shooting for here what are you what number are you going to get to before it's all said and done i don't know the the day after the 3000th game uh nolan ryan called me and said hey you might you got 3000 you might as well get 4000 
Yeah, that's about another 10, 15 years. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've got that in me, but uh, I don't know. You know that uh, once, once I, I didn't think much about it till I got past two thousand, and then, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel good. I'm healthy. Take good care of myself, and uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'll stop, and uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know if I got four thousand, but uh, I can get thirty five hundred or something. That's 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 pretty cool. But that's. Uh, it's been a great career for me, and uh, you know, I enjoy going to the ballpark. I mean, that's that's the thing. The great thing for me is for 38 years, I've gone to work at a ballpark every day. So that's uh, that. You just can't beat that. And uh, uh, being a baseball fan, I've enjoyed uh, every minute of it. Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come in and talk to our class today. I know this has blessed us tremendously, and it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to learn from you and your experience. So just thank you, sir. Not a problem. I'm glad to do it. And if, if you all ever have any uh, questions or anything, you can get me at cmorgan at texasrangers.com. Uh, be more than happy to answer any other questions you might have or uh, try to help you in any way. So, I'm, But I'm glad to do it. Keegan, I appreciate you all inviting me to do this. Enjoyed it very much. Well, us too. Thank you so much, Chuck. God bless. Have a good one. You too. Y'all be careful. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.